Hi, and welcome to Seeking the Gospel Truth. I'm Giselle Aguiar, and 2022 starts the third year of this podcast and corresponding blog. I go through the Bible chapter by chapter, guiding you, even if you've never read the Bible before. Right now, I'm going through the Old Testament prophets, revealing how Bible prophecies that were written 700 years before Christ predict not just what was going to happen back then, but what happened when Jesus came. They even predict the end times and last days that are coming true right now. I pray that as you hear God's word, it will inspire you to study the Bible daily for yourself. Seek the truth. I pray that God opens your heart, eyes, and mind to understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. And as you become rooted in the word, you'll also be rooted in hope, joy, and peace. Hey, new year, new life. Let's dig in. Daniel chapter 2, one of the great prophecies of the Old Testament revealed. When we last left Daniel and friends, God had given Daniel the ability to interpret dreams. They stood strong in their faith, so God rewarded them with wisdom and balanced judgment. These gifts from God would come in handy when the opportunity to glorify God before a pagan king arose. Let's dig in. Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. An interesting note here before we get into it. Chapters 1 and then 8 through 12 were written in Hebrew. Chapters 2 through 7 were written in Aramaic, which, though a cousin of Hebrew, was spoken among the Gentiles. The focus of chapters 1 and then 8 through 12 were the Hebrews. It was written in their language. Since the focus of chapters 2 through 7 are the Gentiles, it's written in theirs. That's that's an interesting little tidbit of trivia. All right, here we go. Daniel chapter 2. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. Like, you really didn't trust these astrologers and seers and diviners, things like that. Verse 7, they said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you are doing. You're stalling for time because you know I am serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind. But tell me the dream and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. 
and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him that what um, all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret, so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. So Daniel interprets the dream, verse 24. Then Daniel went to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. 
its legs were iron and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a gray mountain that covered the whole earth. The dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler of all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise and take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay, it will have some of the strength of iron, but while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed into pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its meaning certain. Nebuchadnezzar rewards Daniel. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods and the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained in the king's court. That was Daniel chapter well, so we have boldness and confidence in God's ability. But before we dig into what the statue represents, let's look at Daniel's attitudes and reactions. First of all, Daniel was rather cool and collected even when he was told that they were going to be killed. He calmly asked for an explanation. 
when he discovered that it was all about a dream, he knew that God had given him the ability to interpret dreams. Therefore, he asked to see the king the next day. That night, he and his friends prayed. They were confident that God could reveal the dream to them, but they prayed first. They expected God to do something, but they had to do something first. About that. Daniel was so at peace and filled with faith that he went to sleep. God revealed King Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him while he slept. Once in front of the king, Daniel didn't take credit, but gave all the glory to God. The meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, from gold to silver to bronze or brass to iron, uh, to a mix of iron and clay, the statue is top heavy. It weakens from head to toe. The stone or rock becomes a great mountain that covers the world, is, uh, is the kingdom of God. Uh, the stone or rock, the great mountain that covers the world, is the kingdom of the king of kings, Jesus Christ. I'm missing a comma there. We'll go fix it later. Brass or bronze? <laughs> so depending on which Bible version you read, some may say, some older versions may say that the torso or thighs were made of brass, and some, the more modern versions, say bronze. Bronze is an alloy of copper and tin. The earliest known example of brass, an alloy of copper and zinc, is a Roman coin from around 20 BC. Now, if you click on over to my blog, I have um, several graphics of what the statue may have looked like. Um, and it has, um, which, ha which are the kingdoms that it represents and, the, and also the years that they represent. But we'll go over that right now. Um, I am, uh, you know, sometimes I find, I find other writings or explanations that I couldn't have done better myself. <laughs> So I'm borrowing from Pastor Sandy Adams again as he explains um, the, the vision. So, uh, and I quote, Nebuchadnezzar has been shown a picture of Gentile world domination. In Luke 21, Jesus also spoke of a period he called the times of the Gentiles. And Luke 21, remember, that's one of the prophetic chapters from the Gospels. So if you're not familiar with that, click on over to my blog and click on uh, one of the links um, in the text on those. So prior to 586 BC and the fall of Jerusalem, God's kingdom on earth was the nation Israel. God hoped she would obey his laws and be a witness to the world. God would make his people great. Israel will rule the world, but Israel failed. She fell into idolatry. God destroyed Jerusalem and gave the world over to, the gen to Gentile control. That's been our status ever since. And it was all predicted beforehand. The head of gold or Babylon got first crack at world dominion. Their empire lasted from 605 to 539 BC. Next came the Medo-Persian Empire, the arms, of chest of, the arms and chest of silver. They reigned from 539 to 331 BC. The Greeks were up next. They were the bronze belly and thighs. They governed from 331 to 146 BC. Afterwards came the Romans, the legs of iron. They ruled the world from 146 BC until the fifth century AD. 
The Roman Empire eventually split into East and West, thus two legs of iron. The empire in the West was ruled in Rome, the Eastern, and Constantinople. That each of these successive kingdoms were inferior to its, its, its predecessor. It's getting late here. Nebuchadnezzar was the world's most absolute despot. His whims became laws. Cyrus, the Persian, had a more limited power. Once he spoke a word, it became law, but he couldn't change it if he wanted to. The law became superior to the king. Greeks and Romans toyed with a representative form of government and introduced democratic ideas. There are scholars who see the clay in this vision as modern democracy, a government by the people and for the people, clay being the symbol of humanity. God created man from the dust, from clay. And as with the rest of the vision, democracy coming last is weakest, the weakest and riskiest form of government. During colonial days, Alexander Tyler wrote these words about the fall of the ancient Athenian Republic. So this is a quote within a quote. Quote, uh, democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves money from the public treasure. From, from that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates promising the most money from the public treasury, with the result that a democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy followed by a dictatorship. The average age of the world's great civilizations has been 200 years. These nations have progressed through the following sequence, from bondage to spiritual faith from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependency, and from dependency back to bondage. You can see where we are, we Americans are in this progression. Uh, pers personally, and I, me, Giselle speaking, I believe we are in apathy. All right, so back to Sandy Adams' quote, end quote from the colonial guy. Um, so continuing with Sandy Adams, it could be that the clay mixed with iron is a time when democracy seizes and dictatorships emerge. This is how Gentile government concludes. Now, what happens to the legs of iron or the Roman Empire? Who conquered Rome? The answer, no one. Rome wasn't conquered from without, it crumbled from within. Yet this is the empire that's pictured last. The feet of this image are iron mixed with clay, the iron of Rome mixed with the clay or rest of humanity. Historically, as in this vision, Rome crumbled into many pieces. For 1000 years, Europe was a quagmire of warring city-states. Eventually, each of Rome's fragmented parts had its crack at world dominance. The Spanish Armada ruled from the sea. British imperialism once dominated in the globe. Napoleon in France, Hitler in Germany, Mussolini in Italy all have tried to unify Europe or ancient Rome under one flag. But what military force has been unable to achieve, economic factors will one day accomplish. 
to, uh, today the two, the two legs of old Rome, East and West, are reuniting. After the fall of communism, a superstate has emerged. The European Union now corresponds with the borders of ancient Rome. Legs of iron have mixed with the clay of humanity in a Roman revival. Today, Europe is one community, more or less. There's a single currency, open borders, and integrated foreign policy, even a president. Of course, unification is not without its problems. The British exit from the EU is proof. As Nebuchadnezzar's vision foresees, clay and iron don't naturally adhere. Yet in 1957 and the the Treaty of Rome, unstoppable forces have overcome ancient hostilities to create a unified Europe. Ancient Rome is being reassembled. And why is it happening? It's because God is at the helm. He's moving pieces on the board, manipulating nations until they're aligned as his prophets predicted. Jesus told us in Luke 21, 24, Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In June 1967, Israeli paratroopers took control of the old city of Jerusalem, um, and Jerusalem was back in Jewish hands for the first time since 586 BC. It was a sign, the times of the Gentiles, the period of Gentile world domination is now drawing to a close. Nebuchadnezzar's image is about to crumble. The reunification of Europe is also setting the stage. Europe will eventually take the form of a 10-nation confederacy. The image that Nebuchadnezzar sees in chapter 2 has two feet, thus 10 toes. And we'll see in Daniel 7, the 10 toes represent 10 European nations. And it's during the days of this 10-state revived Roman Empire that the stone without hands of supernatural origin will strike the image and replace it with a mighty mountain that is the kingdom of God. Throughout scripture, the Messiah is represented as a stone or a rock. Here, Jesus is the stone of supernatural origin. No man was responsible for his birth or for his rise. In the days of this revived Roman Empire, Jesus will return to earth strike the Gentile kingdoms and replace them finally with his reign and God's kingdom. This is why we get excited over what's going on with Europe. It's a sign that Jesus' coming is right around the corner. So, and that again is from Pastor Sandy Adams. Now the question is, who will you trust, men or Jesus? Here are some final points. Prophecy proves God's power and reveals God's plan. They are astounding and accurate predictions. No man-made kingdom lasts forever. God is high above us and beyond time as we know it. He sees everything. In Revelation 17, John sees 10 horns, which represent 10 kings, just like his stat- this statue and its 10 toes. As we go through this book, watch how Daniel talks to God and how he talks about God. At the end, we'll review all the names of God that Daniel calls him. God is allowing us, mankind, to fully experience the consequence of our choices. I truly admire Daniel's boldness and confidence in God's ability. Boldness is a behavior born out of strong, stalwart, unwavering faith. And all eyes are on Europe right now. Jesus is coming back soon. James wrote in James chapter 5, starting in verse 7, Dear brothers and sisters, 
Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable har harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Well, are you ready? If you're not sure, if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit in a one-way, non-stop ticket to heaven after you die, or that you won't be left behind at the rapture, which can happen in any moment. That's what we're waiting for. This is what you have to do. Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift of grace and the confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Thank you for listening to this episode. I pray that the Holy Spirit, the author of scripture, touched your heart to reveal the gospel truth that our hope of salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to me via my website or social media. I encourage you to read the Bible daily and seek the truth for yourself. I recommend that you download two free Bible study apps, the YouVersion Bible app and Through the Word. Friends, we are living in strange, crazy times, the last days, the end times, but know that things aren't falling apart. They are falling into place. Jesus said in Revelation 3, 20-22, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Jesus is knocking. It's up to you to open the door. Peter told us in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed or perish, but wants everyone to repent. Jesus is coming back soon. Are you ready? Repent of your sins and invite Jesus into your heart right now. If you don't know what to say, there's a prayer in the show notes and on my blog. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory.